In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about precious characters, cinematic murders, pepper spraying assholes, piss cups to the face, and a badass bitch in our discussion of Clown in a Cornfield 2, Friendo Lives by Adam Caesar. everybody. Welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Punchy the Clown. And I'm Icky the Clown. And today we're going to discuss Clown in the Cornfield 2, Friendo Lives by Adam Caesar. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this before, pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just love creepy clowns so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Oh, do you mean, we're back! We are. I think we got better. A hundred episodes later, I believe. I believe the first one was episode 108, and this is 208. Well, that's easy to check. Isn't that interesting? I think it that's is. true. It is, and exactly 100 episodes later. Excluding bonuses. Right. And they um, they don't count. But they do, but they don't. They do, they do, but they don't count in the main serial because they're like 0.5s. Yeah. Or in some cases, you know, 0.375. (laughs) (laughs) So much fun. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, the tomfoolery that will be icky and punchy. Yes, me too. Me too. But let's find out what tomfoolery Adam Cesare got up to. Do you have yes, any background information, please? I do. I found something interesting on thepopverse.com. And there's an article about Adam Caesar on his Clown in a Cornfield sequel and why he loves teen horror. This interview was done by Matthew Jackson. Adam says, being a teenager is still a time where your body and mind are changing and you're so full of anxieties and still full of real problems that I think the appeal of fake problems and people who are having a way worse time than you because they're getting stabbed is appealing. There's something appealing about that. You can just intellectualize and you can philosophize about it, but you can also just look at the pure lizard part of our brains that are like, I want to feel something. And you're at a heightened state in all states when you're a teenager. I think there's just something to that. So I think that that appeals to me and I just like it very much. And I just feel like I very much remember what that feels like. That was a weird sentence. So I think that's why a lot of my work tends to feature teenagers. And also lizard brains. (laughs) (laughs) And getting stabbed. (laughs) Yeah, I remember those days. All of those things happen in this book. I'm pretty sure even lizard brain happens in this book. It does. I distinctly remember some reference to lizard brain. We don't have a bingo card this time, though. We had a, a, a Killer Clown bingo card last for the first episode which is still on our social media so if you want to go back and 
read Clown in the Cornfield, which we highly recommend. We and do. listen to the episode. Yes. Play bingo. <laughs> yes. Definitely play bingo. <laughs> so good. I, I loved book one so much. Oh, so, so good. When, when we found out about book two, we were like, oh my god. <laughs> we have to do it. <laughs> and here we are. Do you remember the first time um, we talked, when we talked about book one, and that's when I was able to do cosplays every week, Yes. and that was the one where I had the crossbow bolt through my eyeball, and I scared a passerby on the street? Yes. That yes. was it's such one, a good time. It, it, it was such a good time. It was one of the good cosplay stories where everything just went right. Oh, it was so you could barely get into the car to drive to the park. I know. It was perfect. And I was like, I had to sit all weird and slumped over because the crossbow bolt came up so high. So it looked like I was just slumped over dead. And the guy was so scared. Bless him. <laughs> it was the best. <laughs> what was the other episode that I dressed up as a clown for. Well, you did the re- oh god, I remember talking I, when we I, talked about your cosplay and we were putting it together. It was so much fun, just like talking about creepy clowns. It yeah. was um, Goldie. Yep. Um, the f- it wasn't the final. Gr- what well, was the final girl on mine? Wasn't it the last girl? Yeah. What was it called? The Mary Shelley Club. Mary Shelley Club. The last Mary girl. Shelley Club. Yep. Episode Goldie Moldovsky. Yes, Goldie yep. Moldovsky. Go back and listen to that one, everyone. That one's really good. That was good. In fact, these are some class- need... cl- brilliant recommendations to get you right into the spooky season. Yes, definitely. I need to share both of those cosplays again. Yes. They're a good time. That, the, the clown one. Popping that, pop that balloon with a knife full of blood. <laughs> That was good. It didn't splatter as much as I thought it would, though. I should have put more blood in the balloon. No. no. I remember we were talking about it. We're like, what's the scariest kind of clown? I was like, the black and white ones. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then I had in scary teeth, too. Yes. I made a I made a good pair of scary teeth. You made the, the ruffle as well. I did. Good times. I did. Times. It was good. It was good stuff. Now right. I'm just a B-rated movie b-movie horror clown that really a lot a lot of it's gone into yeah it's good stuff it's gonna be fun (laughs) (laughs) insert manic clown laughter here (laughs) i have to make sure as we're recording i keep my head tilted down so you can't see my real teeth see i'm tilting mine so you can see my real teeth i'm trying to keep it out (laughs) as much as possible I did have my fangs in, but I was lisping really badly again. So I was like, no, let's not torture people this month with the fang lisp. <laughs> yeah, that's next month. All next month, because all next month is all vampires all the time. Woo, woo, woo. Look let's talk for the clock. Let's yes, talk but look, look for the vampire, all vampires all the time clock in the store coming soon. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Murder we clowns. Need... Yes, clowns. Clowns. All right. The Bay Pen Massacre was a little over one year ago, 
Quinn, one of the heroes and survivors of the attack, has moved away from Missouri and back to her hometown of Philadelphia for college. Her roommate, Dev, has a group of friends over in their dorm room, and they're all watching a fake documentary on YouTube about what actually happened during the Frendo murders. This documentary claims that Quinn was the mastermind behind the massacre and convinced two gay boys to go along with her as they murder pretty much everyone in town and blame it on the adults. Uh, yeah, that's not what happened. Please see episode 108 for what happened. <laughs> Quinn unexpectedly enters the room, tells them there are better and more believable documentaries they could watch instead, grabs a pillow, and leaves for a private study room elsewhere in her building. When she gets to the study rooms, Quinn thinks about the death threats and attacks she's prepared herself for. She and Lust trained together pretty much every day since the attacks until she left for college. She's got a baton in her backpack and can put her phone on emergency mode without even looking at it. She decides to send a message to the boys, Lust and Cole, to see where they are on their road trip to come see her. They tell her they'll see her tomorrow and then Quinn hears heavy footsteps and a dragging sound coming from down the hallway. She reaches for her baton but puts it away when she realises it's just a maintenance man with a vacuum. He recognises her and is about to say something but is interrupted by Dev who has come to apologise. What was he going to say? We never find out what he was going to say. I want to know. Hello, Excuse shouldn't me. you be in your dorm room and not in, a pri- in the private study room sleep? No, he already <laughs> said that. And then he was like, hey, aren't you... Hey, I want you to know... Hey, I want you to know... I believe you. No? It was aliens! Aliens <laughs> controlled your mind with the mind slug. Yes, I think that's what it was. It was the mind slug. Rust and Cole are in a motel room in Pennsylvania on their way to meet up with Quinn. This is the farthest Rust has ever been from home in his life, and he's a little nervous about it. He's never really been to a big city before, but Cole has, and because of his trust fund millionaire status and his social media popularity, Cole can handle anything. As they get out of bed and get ready to get back on the road, Rust puts lotion on his burn scars that he's been dealing with since the massacre. He's been dealing with a lot of stuff since then, but at least Cole has been by his side. Now, however, Cole has a secret smile on his face from a text that he just got. And it wasn't from Rust, his boyfriend who is standing right in front of him, or from Quinn, their best friend. Jerry is sitting in the counsellor's office at school. She keeps slipping back into the night of the massacre and reliving the moment when one of the friendors shot her sister Dorothy in the face with a crossbow, but miraculously let Jerry go. The unknown adult female friendor told Jerry she was too young and told her to get to run away into the field and not go back to the barns. The counsellor snapped Jerry back into the present by asking her questions about her grades, her friends and her gender. But Jerry's not dealing well with any of those things, really. She keeps going back to that night. Poor Jerry. It's understandable. She's, you know, been through a trauma. I know. I just... I just want to be friends with Jerry. I want to wrap her in a blanket. I know. And hug her. Yes. Mayor Glenn Maybrook, Quinn's dad, is currently screaming. 
He's just seen the new murdersome clown billboard put up by Eli Duvall about the horror haunt and hayride he's put up at the Tillerson's field. Well, it's his field now. He bought it after the massacre and is now, according to the mayor, profiting off the horror of that night. Eli, a popular man in the Branson entertainment industry, refuses to take the billboard down, so now Mayor Maybrook might have to sue. He's terrified of the thought of Eli taking this Halloween attraction and creating a year-round museum of murder. Not me. I want to go to a museum of murder. (laughs) Sheriff Marta Lee picks up the mayor and they head into town, jokingly plotting to cover Eli's car in parking tickets. But then something hits the windshield. Ooh. Jerry is gearing up for her evening shift at the theater. Tonight, they'll be showing a spooky double feature but ghosts and hauntings, definitely no slashers. As she stands outside waiting to open the doors, she watches some people from school, juniors to her freshman status, so they probably don't even know who she is. Soon, Jerry is approached by a conspiracy theorist who wants to interview her about the Frendor murders, though he is probably one of the ones who believes that Quinn, Rust and Cole were behind the attacks instead of George Dunn, the former sheriff, and Arthur Hill, the former mayor and the rest of the adults in town. She tries to avoid him, but he keeps questioning her until the three juniors come to her rescue. The girl puts her arm protectively around her, while the boys stare down the conspiracy theorist. He freaks out and sprays them down with pepper spray, then promptly backs into the street and into the sheriff's car. She arrests him for assaulting the miners, while the mayor, now acting as a doctor, helps them inside to wash out the spray. He was such an asshole. Um- I really wish that guy would have died when he got hit by the car. I wanted him to be pepper sprayed. <sighs> yes. Right into his open eyes. And mouth. Mm. All the yes. offices. All, all of them. His butthole. Yes. Ugh. Hunter Duval, Eli's son is walking the haunt and thinking about how much he likes what he's doing and how he might want to stay in Kettle Springs after Halloween is over. Not just for what he's doing, but for a person. Ooh. Cole. (gasps) Oh. Cole has a boyfriend, but it should be Hunter. As he walks between attractions, he hears a cough, then another, muffled. Then he hears a sticky sound. He sees where the noises are coming from. It's a person in a vintage Frendo mask painting Frendo lives in blood on the barn wall. As Hunter calls the police, the clown disappears into the cornfield, leaving a horrible stench behind him. That's just not sanitary. Ugh, oh no. It's terrible. Rust and Cole have finally arrived in Philadelphia, and Quinn is taking them to get all the best food. First up, Philly cheesesteak. As they're eating, they realise that pretty much every person in the room knows who they are. Then a touristy mother approaches and tells Cole, Thank you for what he's done on the TV. He's been interviewed by several news outlets and the one she's referring to is about his sexuality. She thanks him for his work for helping her with her queer daughter, who was at the table almost 30 and completely embarrassed. 
<laughs> Poor thing. After she leaves, three buzzcut men approach and Quinn and Rust get nervous. They ask if it's true what happened to them if they took out the friend doors. They say some is true and some is not, but then the buzzcuts ask for a selfie and the situation diffuses. Then an old man starts yelling about it being a hoax, so they leave. They had plans to eat some more food and two more places, but now that's over. They decide to go back to the dorm instead, and there they walk into a costume party where everyone is waiting for mum. Jerry's feeling a little stressed about the incident with the pepper spray and about how worked up she got at school earlier. But it was nice to have been comforted by Sandra, who she maybe has a crush on, so that was good. Miss Izzy Reyes, her boss, comes by to let Jerry know she can go in and watch the second movie of the double feature because they probably aren't going to sell any more tickets. But Jerry declines and stays behind the register. Then... Hunter Duvall comes to the window, asking to come in. Jerry refuses to let him in for free and makes him pay for a ticket, but he's not too happy about that. He says he's just looking for his friends, but as far as Jerry knows, he doesn't have any. She watches as he walks into the end of the haunting and back out again, but she doesn't notice that Frendo has just walked through the lobby. Quinn, Rust, and Cole get through the party goers and into Quinn's room to hide. Dev comes in and apologizes profusely, which seems like all she can do. (laughs) Wow, broken record. But then Cole suggests they stop hiding and go to the party. Nothing's happened to them in more than a year. Nothing happened on the anniversary. His missing dad didn't show up and tried to kill him again. That's good. These are all pluses. (laughs) These are all pluses. Rust seems uneasy, but they all agree. Then Dev helps make them construction paper masks and they leave the room for the party. Unfortunately, just a few songs and drinks in, the elevator doors open and Frendo steps out. Son of a bitch. (sighs) The drunken college kids boo him and tell him his costume is in poor taste and try to push him back into the elevator. But then he pulls out a gun and shoots a guy in the leg. Shit. Oh, shit. (laughs) Holy crap. That escalated. The party goes scatter, but Rust shouts, Form up! And he and Quinn practice for this moment nearly every day since the attack until Quinn went to college. As Quinn whips out her baton and walks towards the guy, another group of teens tackle him. Quinn gets to him, bashes him in the head, and pulls off his mask. Ooh, he's <gasps> under the mask. Ooh. While all this was happening in Philadelphia, something was also happening back in Kettle Springs. Quinn realizes she's missed several calls from her dad and finally answers, but it's not Mayor Maybrook on the line. It's his girlfriend, Miss Reyes. She tells Quinn through sobs that she needs to come home now. At the exact same time as the college party attack, Quinn's dad was attacked by the friendo that passed unseen through the lobby of the theater. Jerry heard the attack and ran out to his rescue, but wasn't quite in time. Glenn Maybrook was stabbed and slashed with a safety knife and is now in the hospital in critical condition. 
Meanwhile, as Quinn, Rust, and Cole are flying to Missouri, and Dev is driving Cole's car back to Missouri, which... Wh- why? Why do we even need to worry about the car right now? Why are you giving your car to a stranger, Cole? I think he was pretty drunk. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's see. So, the police in Philadelphia are interviewing Brad, the college party friendo, but they don't get any information from him other than the fact that he supposedly bought his vintage mask on eBay because he eats a cigarette that had poison inside. <sighs> Suicide. Seriously? I have it... questions. <laughs> many, many questions. Yikes. <laughs> at the hospital, Quinn gets to see her dad while Rust and Cole are left in the waiting room. The sheriff suggests that they find a ride home or they can wait for her to get a deputy. But while they were still in Philadelphia, Cole texted Hunter, so now he's on his way. Rust is understandably upset about this, but instead of telling Cole he's incredibly jealous of this other boy, who obviously is interested in his boyfriend, he says they shouldn't get involved with Hunter because they don't really know him and his family is profiting off their misery. Which is definitely true. Cole disagrees and tells Rust that he never even thought of cheating on him, but when he acts like this... Rust gets upset, but Cole tells him he's acting like his boy- bodyguard instead of his boyfriend, and he leaves with Hunter and gives Jerry a ride too, because the police couldn't get in touch with her mother. I am feeling so gaslighted on Rust's behalf right now. Yeah. What the fuck, Cole? Yeah. What the fuck? Made me so mad! Yeah, I was so pissed off with Cole at this point. The ride is awkward for Jerry, who's pretty sure that maybe Rust and Cole just broke up. She's also pretty sure that Hunter and Cole are flirting, and she's literally right in the middle of it in the truck. Hunter works at the nerve to ask Cole if he ever had a feeling that his dad was planning the massacre, but Cole doesn't answer and tells Hunter that that sounds like a reporter question. Then they see a billboard for the haunt, and Hunter offers tickets to Jerry if she can guess her classmate that was on the sign. She guesses correctly, but then starts crying, swooped back to the night in the field. Cole suggests they drop her off first, and then he and Hunter can go back to his place for a beer. (sighs) I'm not upset with you, Cole. I'm just very disappointed. So disappointed. Eli is working on his anger issues and is currently trying to not break the coffee pot in the house. He and his family are renting for a few more days before going back to Branson. He sees his wife sleeping on the couch, which she's done almost the entire time they've been in Kettle Springs, and worries about her. Her couch sleeping started out with her working on something on her laptop late into the night, but then she stopped getting dressed and leaving the living room and then she tacked up sheets to create herself a little hideout almost. He tells his wife he loves her through the sheet and heads out to the car to go to work. It smells terrible inside the car, but he doesn't have time to do anything about that. There's a friend door in the back seat who uses razor wire to cut through Eli's throat. Yikes. Yikes. (laughs) What the what? 
so much yikes. So much yikes. Yeah, that's a new one. That's a new one to add. Razor wire fucking shit. Jerry walks in the front door of her house and sees her mom on the couch watching the news. She's got the phone right next to her, so why didn't she answer when Jerry called? Oh, Jerry notices the phone is on, so none of her calls would have gotten through. Jerry's mom yells at her not to leave the house and to go to her room because something crazy is happening. So she didn't even realize that Jerry didn't come home last night and was a witness to a violent attack. Her mom just hasn't been right since the massacre and the loss of Jerry's older sister, so Jerry's used to being ignored. She goes upstairs for a little while before sneaking out of the window and heading to the theater. Since they all left in a rush the night before, she decides to go by and lock up. But instead of leaving, she locks herself inside. She sits in her favorite seat and browses her phone for a while. But then she realizes she's not alone. <gasps> she ducks down on the floor, but is soon confronted by a very large man with a gun. Rust also goes by the theatre and finds Jerry outside with the police officer. He purposely misgenders Jerry and tells Rust to head home to his partner at his mansion. Oh. Rust is not putting up with this that. Guy. The officer gets a call on his radio and so Rust and Jerry decide to leave and go get tackles. An that is a much decision. better plan. Excellent decision. I fucking hate this cop. He, he is the worst as well. He does. Ugh. Asshole pepper spray. Quinn wakes up in her dad's hospital room, and hey, her dad is awake too. He's still in pain, but he's alive and will survive. And everyone goes, whew. He sends Quinn home with the sheriff, but before she leaves, she gives her baton to Izzy to keep her and her dad safe. On the drive, Quinn asks the sheriff if there are any leads on her dad's attacker, but even if she knew anything, it's not like Sheriff Lee can tell Quinn anything. They drive on until they see a stalled vehicle and some men on the side of the road. The sheriff is smart, though, and barely puts her window down when a seemingly drunk skeleton comes over asking for help. Unfortunately, the skeleton is faking, and he manages to get his arm through the window and stabs the sheriff to death. Shit. What? Fuck. Quinn is freaked out, but grabs Sheriff Lee's gun and shoots at the man and his friends as they run off into the cornfield. Undeterred, Quinn follows. Bad. Ass, so badass. So, oh my god. Oh my fucking god. What the hell? What the hell? A <sighs> cold mansion. He's drunk. Shirtless and rummaging through the refrigerator. But wait, why isn't he wearing a shirt? Oh shit. Did he, did he do something with Hunter? Oh shit. Oh no. No shit. Oh shit. <sighs> He thinks back and remembers that they were in the basement. Then Hunter asked about a bad smell that he... That, and then he showed Hunter the indoor pool and 
spa area and then he stripped off his shirt and was about to get into the pool when he realised, oh shit, I don't need to be shirtless in a pool with this guy when I have a boyfriend. So then he went upstairs for more beers. (laughs) Now here he is. But the smell from downstairs seems to have come with him and he realises he smelled it around the house for a while. Oh. Cole gets a text from Hunter, but then he's someone behind him, and it's not Hunter, it's Frendel. Frendel chases him around the house like he's been there before. They run upstairs, Fuck. and then Cole goes over the railing on the second floor and plummets to the marble below. Shit. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to say something here, and probably everyone's going to hate me. But I was kind of sh- not sad when Cole plummeted down to the marble because he's treating Rust like shit, and Rust is my guy. I 100% agree. <sighs> Rust is to be protected, Cole is to be plummeted. Yes. Plummet or protect. <laughs> you story by Gail Carrick. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same thing. <laughs> Rust and Jerry enjoy their tacos, but then they hear something outside. It's a riot. Oh, shit. <laughs> there are friendos of all makes and models storming through the streets, Looking for the three, meaning Quinn, Cole, and Rust. (laughs) As a trash can comes flying through the window, Rust and Jerry sneak out a back door with plans to run to Rust's house where he's got plenty of guns and ways to keep them safe. They don't make it, though. But they do see a mob get to Rust's front door. Rust's dad is a veteran and a doomsday prepper, so he's not troubled by the mob at all and has, in fact, rigged an explosive to his front door. When a friendo bashes the door in, he gets blown up. Rust and Jerry make it to his truck and drive toward Cole's house. Rust's dad. I love, I love so much. And they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> he just got exploded. And Rust is like, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, Quinn follows the skeletons into the corn, but she realizes she's at the same field where everyone died last year. Same field that is now a horror attraction. She shoots at the skeleton, but it's actually a teen leading a group through Duval's haunted maze. Quinn manages to convince the group of teens that she's not going to shoot them, or shoot them anymore at least, when they start checking the phones <laughs> to call 911. Then one shouts that there's a riot going on and that Quinn is the reason for it. She killed a cop? And now she's going to kill them. What? As she tries to explain, she's knocked out from behind. Oh, fuck. This has escalated so quickly. It's so terrible. 
Rust and Jerry have to drive a different, longer way to Cole's house than Rust usually goes, and Jerry's checking her phone the entire drive. She's watching videos of Quinn killing the sheriff, but they both know that that's not real. As they're driving through a neighborhood, they realize they've come across the same group of riders that were outside Rust's house. And of course, they recognize Rust's truck. A lady friendo wearing a clown-painted pantyhose mask and house slippers gets into the back of Rust's truck with a crowbar. Rust asks Jerry to lift the back seat of his truck and get out a gun, but the pantyhose friendo bashes through the back window and catches Jerry with her crowbar. Rust gets her free and makes her take over driving as he climbs into the back seat and grabs a gun, then points it at the friendo. She starts shouting that she's got him, but Rust somehow convinces her to take off her mask and have a conversation. This pantyhose friendo is Jane Duvall. Hunter's mom, and she says she hates this town, and she found her husband dead in his car and assumes that Rust killed him because she tried to kill the mayor. What? No. No. I wish that Rust would have just gone, you know what, fuck it, and like cocked his gun and just blew her head off. He thought about it, and he didn't do it. And then they arrive at Cole's mansion. Like, how the hell do you leap to that conclusion? How? Well, because they're all bonkers as fuck. All of them. All of them are bonkers as fuck is an understatement. (sighs) Anywho. Hunter wanders through the basement, embarrassed about taking his shirt off. (laughs) Freaking call out enough to make him leave the room. I love that they're just like, hey, bruh. Hey, bro, let's have some beers and take our shirts off. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and they're just hanging out in the indoor pool with their shirts off. <laughs> <laughs> he notices Sorry. coming from the sauna nearby. And then see, sees a shadow pass by and smells an awful smell. Oh, no. I kept thinking powerful thoughts throughout this entire scene. <laughs> no, you're making it too funny. <laughs> that terrible smell has been floating around this whole time, and you know it's spicy not going to be good. They're all spicy toots. They're all they're all pepper sprayed asshole toots. Exactly, it's all it's spicy toots. <laughs> <laughs> spice toot. <laughs> <laughs> Poke my nose for a spice toot. <laughs> 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 Sorry. The shadow and the smell are coming from the friend door who heads upstairs towards Cole. Hunter sends a text and he is Cole get it and he decides he's going to go upstairs too either to help Cole or to get the hell out. By the time he makes it upstairs it's to see Cole splattered on the floor arms akimbo. Luckily He's still alive somehow, but the friend door is standing over him, holding a rusty knife. So he's probably not going to survive much longer. Hunter grabs an iron skillet from the kitchen and smashes it into friend door's jaw. At the same time, the friend door stabs him in the belly with the knife. Fuck. Yikes. While this is happening, there's someone outside trying to break the door down. 
Hunter gets to call who tells him to open the door because Rust is out there trying to get in. Rust shouts that he's going to shoot the door open, but Hunter, who is shambling over, can't get out of the way in time. When Quinn comes to, she's zip-tied and tries to explain to the teen that the cop who is there now and helping him is a bad guy who killed the sheriff and that you can still see the skeleton makeup he was wearing. The cop tells the teen, named Tyler, that he should take the others and find his partner while he walks Quinn through the corn and back to his car. This seems like a really reasonable plan and is something that I would trust 100%. No, that was a lie. No, no, no. The cop leads Quinn through the maze and plans to shoot her, telling her about how he grew up in this town and he thought that George Dunn, former sheriff, was a hero and that most everybody else who is in town rioting is a useful idiot. Chama? Just as he's about to shoot Quinn, who has just told the cop that he is, in fact, a useful idiot, Tyler tackles him. Thank goodness he realized something was off and he believed Quinn because holy fucking shit. While they scramble, Quinn gets her zip-tied wrists around the cop's throat and strangles him to death. Bad ass. Bad fucking ass. Yes! Rust, Jerry, and Jane Duvall enter the Hill Mansion. Rust immediately rushing to Cole as Jane rushes to Hunter. Rust checks on Cole, gives supplies to Jane for Hunter, and instructs Jerry to make sure no one else is in the house. Cole asks where he is, and Rust assumes he means Hunter, who he thinks is as bad as his mother. But no, that's not who Cole is talking about. He's talking about his dad. Fuck. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. The fuck's going on? This is batshit local. Let me tell you what's going on. Arthur Hill is upstairs in his own house. Oh, snap. He wishes he were back in the basement sauna where he's been hiding out for weeks. <gasps> what? It took him a long time to make it back into the country and to amass his internet friendos. But he's done it. He regrets hiring the idiot he sent to Philadelphia to kill his son and not doing it himself, but now he's back home and can take care of it. He hears Rust coming after him, and then he shuts off the power. But that just means Rust knows exactly where he is. He knows where the breaker box is because he's been in this house so often and starts following. He also knows where Frendo is because he can track the awful smell that he's noticed the past few times he's been to the house. Meanwhile, the rioters arrive outside and set fire to the house. Jerry convinces Jane to go outside and explain to them that Rust, Cole, and Quinn aren't bad. But instead, she tells them that Rust and Cole are inside and they killed her son. Oh, oh, shit. Fuck. Poor Hunter. Fuck. 
even though I fucking got on my nerves walking around like a shirtless bro trying to horn in on Cole still it sucks out in the cornfield Quinn and Tyler get to the second cop who is calling for the one she just killed on a walkie talkie she sneaks up behind him tells him she just killed his friend and handcuffs him she then manages to convince Tyler and several others that she is not the bad guy and that she didn't kill Sheriff Lee but this cop and one of his friends did. And the rioters, who they've all seen videos of destroying their town, are actually bad and aren't going to kill all the teens in town, just her and her friends. One of the teens holds up her phone to show Quinn a live video of a friend or riding on the bed of a truck singing two out of three ain't bad. Then showing Rust and Cole tied up. Quinn looks around at the teens in the field, most of whom are dressed as clowns from working the haunt, and hatches a plan. Because she's badass bitch. Badass bitch. Glenn Maybrook wakes up in the hospital from a dream where all his girls, Quinn, Izzy, Marta Lee, and even his late wife Sam, were standing around his bed. He feels better and safe. Then he notices there's something resting on his bed. He reaches and finds Quinn's baton wrapped in a piece of paper with a note written on it. The note isn't from Quinn, but from Izzy. And in it, she mentions how, if Quinn knew her at all, she wouldn't have given her a weapon. She already has one that she keeps in the theater. And she's used it. And... She's sorry about it. (sighs) Glenn realizes that there's only one thing involving weapons someone from Kettle Springs would apologize for. Izzy was a friendo involved in the massacre. Oh, shit. Fuck. Arthur Hill jumps out of his burning house to the ground below and other friendos come to his rescue, getting him to a vehicle so they can all go downtown for some kind of trial. Jerry's also in a vehicle, the same one with Rust and Cole. She doesn't know how she's going to be treated though. Rust and Cole are obviously the ones all the friendos want and Hunter seems to be thought of as some kind of hero because his mom is one of the friendos. They get downtown and Jerry realises the lights of the theatre are on, but they don't come on automatically, so someone must be in there. Across the street from the theatre is the municipal building where a mass of friendors have gathered. They drag Rust and Call up in the centre and the friendor with a megaphone calling herself Red Nose Trixie gets everyone's attention. The friendors are going to have a trial before a public execution. This isn't legal. This is not. It's not at all. This is the exact opposite of legal. Jeez. Quinn, dressed as a friendo, looks out at the crowd surrounding the municipal building. There are so many friendos. Most are drunken revelers, 
A few are the teens she gathered to help, and some appear to be soldiers under their masks. She spots one that is very important, though. The executioner with the AR-15. As soon as she's able, she's going to take him out. As she watches, waiting for the perfect opportunity, a horrible smell passes her, and a friendo walks up the stairs of the municipal building. You just see the flies following him, can't you? Oh. Arthur Hill pushes past all the friendos he's brought together and takes the megaphone from Red Nose Trixie, who suggests other friendos hose him down because he smells so bad. He announces to everyone that he is Arthur Hill, though his jaw is broken and no one can understand him. Then he gets hit with a beer can. The friendos have no idea who he is. He looks around and sees signs for George Dunn, but he's the one who's responsible for all this. He removes his mask and still no one recognises him. Well, Cole does. And he's ecstatic that no one knows who he is. It's so perfect for the self-important, stuck-up jackass. Someone else recognises him, though. And then a crossbow bolt flies through his neck. He dies. And literally, no one cares. Oh, it's so perfect. Izzy Reyes is up on the roof of the theatre. She's been keeping an eye on Jerry and Cole and Rust, ready to protect them. But then Arthur Hill walks up in front of everyone. So she takes the opportunity to kill him. (laughs) She knows things are going to go badly after this and that she's not going to survive. But Arthur Hill is responsible for everything and she has to do something about it. He ruined her life. Yep. Quinn takes aim at the executioner Frendor and shoots out his eyeball. But he sprays bullets as he falls. Luckily, no one we care about is hit. (laughs) Another Frendor saw Quinn shoot the executioner, so he attacks her, but she shoots him too. A lady Frendor saw too and recognised her as Quinn and tried to get the others to help her, but then she gets smashed in the head with a beer bottle by one of the haunted teens. Quinn then grabs the AR-15 from the executioner and walks up the stairs of the municipal building to her friends. Jerry, who was in the back of the truck near the executioner, gets out as the bullets fly. A shirtless friendo grabs her and she fights back, which he doesn't like. And then he calls her little man, which she doesn't like. And neither does Sandra, the junior girl Jerry has a crush on. She swings a bat at shirtless friendo and takes him down. Jerry and Sandra then make their way to the theater, and Sandra gives Jerry a kiss before Jerry goes inside to help Miss Reyes. She finds her back behind the snack bar, shot and dying. As she passes away, Miss Reyes apologizes to Jerry for what she did to her and to her sister Dorothy the night of the massacre. Even though she's angry and Miss Reyes deserves to die for what she's done, Jerry sits with her until she's gone. That is ultimate betrayal. Oh, that's so hard. 
Quinn, Rust and Cole are preparing to make a last stand on the steps of the municipal building. They sit guns ready for a long time, then somebody finally comes for them. It's the second cop she handcuffed in the cornfield. Damn it. <laughs> he comes towards them, and Rust prepares to take a bullet for his friends. But then, out of nowhere, a car comes flying down the street and ploughs him down. It's Cole's car. The one he asked Dev to drive back to Missouri. But she's not driving. Rust's dad is. <laughs> Behind him are police, ambulances and fire trucks. It's finally over. It's finally over. <laughs> I love Rust's dad. MVP. Okay. So it's not quite over just yet three months later quinn is in maryland ordering crab cakes at a diner rust and cole along with rust's parents have moved away from missouri to a big ranch glenn maybrook is finishing up his term as mayor and jerry's there to help him when he needs it most everything has been wrapped up but quinn is on a mission She's shaved her head and dyed her hair and is now out looking for the internet friendos that got away. She's found one here at this diner. It's Red-Nosed Trixie, though her name tag says Allison. As she brings Quinn's food, Quinn says thank you, but to Trixie, then pulls out her baton, takes her down, and leaves the diner. There are a lot more friendos on her list. <gasps> no! <laughs> Damn. Bad ass bitch. Love it. So good. So good. So good. I just. It's oh. so good. She's a crazy fucking killer now. I love her. Rip roaring rampage of revenge. I need yes. that in my life. Yes. Oh my god. Right, well, we need to go and do some kind of, you know, icky and punchy type shenanigans. We do. We do. We need to go honk some things. Pepper spray some asses. Pepper spray some assholes. That sounds... Like something icky and punchy would do. It definitely is. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Barbara. And I'm Lauren. We are the hosts of Badass Literature Society, a book review podcast where we take book recommendations from listeners like you, read them, and then discuss them on our show. Join us once a month as we dive into the books you picked and talk about them. And don't miss our bonus episodes covering all sorts of random bookish topics that come out in between reviews. Don't worry, if you want to read one of the books, the first part of each episode is designated spoiler-free, so you can listen and see if you'd like to read it, and then come back and listen to the rest later. You can find Badass Literature Society on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen. Now, back to the show. So... What are your standout moments from this book, Icky the Clown? (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yes, the entire bloody thing. Yep. Yep. Hands down. Start to finish. Do you know what I'm going to say? I was worried about it. I adored the first one. Yeah. And sequels are hard. I typically always like the second book, though. Yeah. And this can't be over. This no. cannot be the end. No. There's, there's got to be one more book out there. You, you know, we've got to round off with the trilogy. But I was worried that it was going to be a repeat of the first one. Yeah. And, yeah, I did, so, and you know what it's like when it's a second book in a series or it's an author that we like or an audiobook narration that we like, we don't even read the summary. We just, right. we, we don't care. I we don't care. zero concept of what this book was about before going in. I knew yeah. it involved the original people who survived, the original survivors, yeah. and literally that's it. Yep. So I went in completely blind, hoping it wasn't going to be a repeat and hoping it was going to stand up to the first one because the first one was so bloody good. So good. I think we must have read it like two or three times each. Yep. And my God, this stands up. Yeah, it does. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so, so good. So good. And I just, I want to see these movies. I know. Just imagine that last scene as... A movie and like you don't even realize that it's Quinn and you just think well what's happening why are we in this weird diner because you probably won't recognize Red Nose Trixie either because she's not in her clown getup. Mm-hmm. and then like the camera pans around to shaved head Quinn like you see her face and then like she just whips out her baton and bash and then crosses the name off a list Amazing. So good. Amazing. And that's one of the good things about these books. They are so cinematic. Yes. You can tell that Adam Caesar loves horror movies. Yes, you can. He is obsessed with horror movies. And it just it shines through in these books. It really, really does. And it just makes me want to go back and watch 90s horror again. Yes. And it's the perfect season for it. And all, it is. I know initially we thought about doing this book in October because it's a great Halloween book. Right. But I'm so glad we're actually doing it this month in September because I figured like we can set people up to read it for October and get into that spooky yeah. mood now. Yeah. I just, honestly, it was just so entertaining from cover to cover. And Jesse Valinsky as the audiobook narrator knocks it out of the park again. Of course, but of course she does. Of course she does. Everyone yeah, knows just, how oh. much we're obsessed with her, so Oh of my God, she's just amazing. Yeah. If I had to pick individual scenes, anything and everything involving Rust's dad, that explosion yeah. was majestic. I love And then they go to the mansion. They're like, well, they're like, we can hear them on the other side of the door. Like, don't you open that door. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. And the way Rust's dad just comes in at the end. Yeah. And Cole's like, well, I'm not going to tell some girl I don't know to drive to my mansion. What are you talking about? And Russ like, you told him to go to my house? What the fuck, man? <laughs> but we know that Russ's dad 
is fucking bonkers and he will survive if a tiny girl gets out of the car and tries to kill him. Yes. He'll be fine. Or a big burly man. You know, it doesn't you know, it doesn't have to be size or gender specific. He will That's true. survive. He is a survivor. That's true. Yes. Yes. So I just I just adored it. And you know, you know what you're saying about the final scene and how you can see that in, in, in the cinema, you know, when you don't realise it's Quinn until the very last second. Yeah. I I really enjoyed Quinn's descent into badass bitch. She was the final girl now out for revenge. Yeah. And I adored that. Yeah. She was so good. So scared in the first one. And it t- took her so much to like work herself up to not being violent, but certainly self-defense. Yeah. And this time she's like, hell no. No. Nope. No. I can't nope out of this situation, so I'm going to run headlong into it, and I am going to take my baton and a gun, and I am going to make you bitches pay. And I yeah. enjoyed every single second of that. Yes. Yes. She was so awesome. It was just, it was action you could sink your teeth into. No, th- none of this timid bullshit. Like, no. Oh, no, no. I think my favorite Quinn kill is the cop who I fucking hated because he was misgendering everyone. Because that's the same guy. Spoiler alert. It's the same cop. But when she strangles him to death with her zip tied wrists, like, Fucking yes. That was poetic. It really was. It <sighs> really, really was. It was amazing. I loved it. <sighs> it was so, so good. Because fuck that guy. Oh, that guy had to die. And I'm so glad he died a gruesome death. I wish that Rust had done something when he was in the alley messing with Jerry. Like, why are you going to hurt? Why are you going to mess with Jerry? Jerry hasn't done anything. Jerry is tiny and perfect. And then he's like constantly calls her, like uses masculine pronouns. And Russ is like, uh, no, it's her. She, she's a girl. Like, okay, well, you go home to your partner in your mansion. Like, fuck off, you shithead. There's, there's no call for being so disrespectful no it's gross he's just a fucking asshole who needs pepper spraying before being grotted yes pepper sprayed in the asshole while being garroted oh that's poetry yeah oh yeah yeah i like that yeah poetry It'd be perfect. So I really liked that scene. Yes, there were very several. There were several good murder scenes. Yeah, I also really, really liked the Halloween party at the very beginning, and how everyone handled the friendo. I mean, yeah, a lot of them got scared. And ran off and shut themselves in dorm rooms. But when the friend, like when the elevator doors open and the friendo comes out, not a single one of them is like, "Ooh, cool, it's a friendo." They like literally boo him 
with thumbs down. Boo! Yes. Terrible fucking costume, bro. Get out of here. Yeah. I loved that. It made me really think like Quinn's quite isolated at college. She's not made friends with uh, her roommate. Her yeah. roommate just constantly apologizes, and I think you know I kind of relate to that being in that stage of apologizing for just my mere existence, you know. But she, so she's she does. I don't think she realizes actually people value her being there, or respect her being there, or you know just are on her side, in yeah. varying degrees, um, until that moment. And I would like to think that the janitor wasn't going to be an asshole. I think, I like to think that too. Because if he was going to be an asshole, he would have just kept right on being an asshole right then the whole time when Dev came up. Like, he wouldn't have stopped. I think he would have been the person with the good. If if he was going to be an asshole. I think this that would have been the same character. Yeah. Because who, you know, there's got to be security to get into these places. Right, so and the security, have... I mean, they mention that, too. They mention, like, nobody's going to get in here. This is part of Cole's, like, complaining, why don't we just go to the party? Like, there's a guy down there at the door. He's not going to let anybody in. That's it. They had to get security visitor badges for themselves, didn't they? Yeah. So I was, I was yeah. hoping it wasn't going to be the janitor, and it wasn't, so... You know, in the very beginning, when... Quinn walks in on Dev and some of the others and they're watching those conspiracy videos. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they believed them or they just wanted to know more about Quinn? I think there was a curiosity. Yeah. And a nosiness, which yeah. are two different things. Um... I certainly, th- I think they do. The, I, I definitely think on her roommate's part, she needs and wants to know more about the spacious sharing. Yeah. And I can appreciate and understand that. You know, you're literally sleeping five foot away from someone who has had a traumatic and violent encounter. How has that possibly affected them? Um, So I can get that. But I... I don't know, I think it's probably more of a curiosity than anything else. Like, what else is out there? I don't yeah. necessarily think that they believed them. More because of the way that they reacted to the friend door at the party. Yeah, yeah that's what I was hoping you were going to say. Because that's what I believed too. At first I thought, man, these guys are shitty. They're just fucking with Quinn. But when that friend came off the elevator and literally everyone booed, I was like, oh, thank goodness. They're good. They're good teens. Yeah. And I think that's part of like both of the books, both of the Clown and the Cornfield books, is that the behaviour the behaviour of a teenager or early teens or whatever, you know, the, the these this that generation is it's not bad. It's different from what you might have grown up with. Yeah. Um but that doesn't make it bad. No. They were... It just goes to show that we need to give teenagers credit. God, yeah. And that they're good. 
they're good until they shave their head <laughs> and you but know even then go off even then people just a revenge trip go on a revenge trip and i'm, I'm there for that do you know i remember when i was at university and i did a, a an assignment on um social media yeah and it actually recently came up at work about you know you know disseminating data and gathering the information and where to get it from and my argument was that you know social media does have a bad reputation because you can't verify the sources of the information or the reasoning behind why people are posting it because a news outlet can post a story but what's the agenda of that news outlet and the newspaper you know it's critical thinking yeah and i don't think we're giving the teenagers the credit for critical thinking because They've grown up with the internet more so than what we have. Right. They've grown up with social media more so than what we have. Um, and they've had all that data on a data uh, like constantly. But with that and learning about the technology and the computer age and et cetera, et cetera, they've also been taught to think for themselves and to be critical about what's reading. Right. Whereas if you look at the adults the george the authors yeah the allisons the older generation who were the ones who carried out the massacre they didn't have social media or the technology or the internet when they were growing up so when they have been given this information they have not questioned it they've gone yeah no, we trust the news sources. We tr- when we are given a piece of information from a verifiable air quote source, we will trust it. Yeah, they, it hasn't been to... drilled into them over and over and over again throughout their life while they're writing all their papers for school. Check your sources. Check your sources. Check your sources. Check your sources. Like that—that's what every kid constantly hears. Yes. Cite your sources. Cite them. Where did you get this information from? Like exactly. But Arthur and George, etc., etc., that generation, not to generalise that generation, I'm just within these books I'm stating. Right. They haven't and they don't. And they are quite obviously very easily manipulated because, you know, they, they manipulated the first one by Arthur and George as the instigators because yeah. the youths weren't acting the way that they wanted them to do. They were on the phone, they were, you know, doing on tiktok posting videos yes. being a modern teenager right. not the teenager from their generation yeah they're not riding bikes and drinking from water hoses anymore <laughs> exactly and it's just so knowing and thinking about it in those terms the people like that at queen's college and the people that she's surrounded with there will be a curiosity and the desire and the need for more information. But with that, I would like to think, is they're questioning that information. Yeah. Get all the data and then analyse it. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying you're sitting there with spreadsheets, but I'm certainly saying you're going, No, that's us. Really? That, w- that would be us. That would be us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, saying, well, that's quite clearly when they're talking about than being infected by alien slugs and mind controlled, right? Far fetched. Yeah, you know, or they've been incited to carry out the massacre because they've been influenced by some kind of 
serial advertising. I don't know. But it's just they're able to cut out the bullshit. Yeah. I like that they're like, that's a deep fake. Like, that's from that Lifetime movie. Like, this isn't, this isn't real. That's some that's her head on someone else's body. I'm pretty sure Quinn said that, but still. I like that they that they can tell that it's fake if they're paying close enough attention. Because they're doing it themselves in their own videos. Yeah, that's their own social media. So that's their own thing. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Do you know whose murder I liked? Whose? Eli's. Eli's murder was good. Yes. With that wire and the way that he had his fingers over his throat and then it cut through his fingers and then into his soft flesh. Yeah. I thought it was Jane. I thought it was his wife who was the friend or who killed him when it happened. But then obviously, when she goes back to the local, she's like, oh, you killed my my husband in the car. It's like, no. They probably don't even know where you live, you idiot. Yeah. I tried to go back through when I was writing the summary and put in every mention of when it was the smelly friendo. Because, you know, you find out at the end that the smelly friendo is Arthur Hill. But as I was going through and searching the book, you know, because I was using my ebook and using text search function... They talked about smell so many times in the book. Just the way random things smelled. And I think that he did it on purpose. Because if you're mentioning all of these smells, how, the, how everything smells all the time, when you mention this bad smell, you're not going to pay as close attention to it. Yeah. And I just really, really appreciated that. Whether it's true or not, I thought it was brilliant. And I can I can hear the scene at the very beginning where he's standing out in the field and painting with the bucket of blood. Like that roller paint sound. And they're like, it's just, it's blood. And there's flies, bloated flies flying around in the air around the bucket like oh it's so gross and that's another scene that you could totally watch you could see it happening and there's like a close-up of the sticky paint sound just oh it will be so good it would be such a perfect movie it it would it would have really good asmr yes And also, if Netflix did it, the subtitles would be majestic. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they would. They would have to have, like, Stranger Things-style subtitles. Yes. It would be so great. It would be so great. Um, Do you know, speaking of Arthur Hill and his smelliness, I mean, I loved how smelly he was the entire time, and I loved that... This is pepper spray asshole. This is spicy too. Pepper spray asshole. Yes, I love though when Rust is like tracking him through the house, and he's using his hunting skills, and like he can smell where the guy's been. But then he realizes, you know, 
I thought that Cole was just being disgusting and not cleaning up after himself. But no, his fucking murdersome dad is back in the house hiding around. I really liked that. I thought it was brilliant. What little faith he has on his boyfriend. I know. I just, I want them, I wanted them to break up. I really, really did. Because, I mean, they they were together secretly in the first book for for the most part. And then you find out at the end, like, when Cole comes down from being hanged and... Quinn sees like rust rush over and then she's like oh shit they're kissing like I really liked that Mm -hmm. but I just I don't like the way Cole treated rust in this one and I know that rust is in this position where you know he's clearly stronger and better suited to protecting them but I just, I don't like the way that Cole treated, I don't like the way Cole treated him at all. Especially all his flirting with Hunter. Like, that was just gross. Yeah. But but you know what? They're kids. And it's okay to, to you know, not maybe want to go out with this person anymore. And try going out with someone else. Like, that's okay. But man, don't treat Rust badly. I love him. <sighs> You still gotta have respect in the relationship, even if you're gonna call it to an end. You know, yeah. And it might not be that you respect the person now, or like at that situation for whatever reason, but at least you know, the fact that you've devoted so much of your life to it. Yeah, I'm really surprised. I think this might be one of my biggest surprises: is that Cole left with Rust and his family at the end and like went in halvesies on their property that they bought like I'm really surprised about that I could see him giving them money but you're going and you're gonna live with them I just Mm. don't think it's gonna end well well it might not end well but I wasn't totally surprised because I I think Cole Cole realized he'd been pretty shitty to rust yeah Rust is still willing to give the relationship a go. Um, but I also think Cole realises that part of the problem might, like, what's to help stir people up is the media presence that he's yeah. been offering. You know, he's gone out and done all these interviews and, you know, tried to make sure that people were aware of the truth of what ha- what happened to Kettle Springs and the massacre. Yeah. And, you know, like, the mom who embarrasses her nearly 30-year-old daughter <laughs> about, you know, all of the, the good he's doing for the LGBTQ com- community, which is, again, fantastic. But he's always, and it was established in the first one, he's always trying to be a influencer. It's just that now, because he's involved with the massacre, he has a bigger, more easily accessible platform. Yeah. Only small prevalent pl- platform, and I think part of the problem was called like for the reasons why Friendor lives still in the conspiracies is because he's constantly out there, constantly giving a face and a voice to it. And I think he realizes, you know what, actually, I need to step back. 
can't live in Kettle Springs anymore. But I also need to feel safe. And I don't feel yeah. safe in the mansion. I don't feel safe in Kettle Springs. I don't feel safe in Philadelphia. I'm going to go into the middle of nowhere at a ranch with the boy I love and his absolutely batshit crazy <laughs> doomsday prepper father who can take on absolutely anything yeah. and come out with a smile on his face. It's self-preservation as well as mental well-being. Yeah. I don't know how long it's going to last as a relationship. It doesn't feel, to me, particularly strong. No. But I certainly think that at the moment he needs to have a quiet time. Yeah. Period of reflection. Do some yoga, you know. Yeah. Detox. Meanwhile, Rust is out in the back near the barn with his dad practicing the shots. Yeah. Or he's like sexily chopping wood with a shirt off or something. Because they're, they're grown ups now. They're out of. The grown ups are the rabbits. And he'll pour water over himself to cool down, which he'll just get cold. Yeah. Very excited. Yes. Very like, hot and bothered. That's the guy whose shirt I want off. Yes. But I, just, I would like Cole to be a bit more respectful to Rust. <sighs> Me too. I wasn't too unhappy when he went over the railing. I wasn't either. I wanted him to die. <sighs> yeah. I was really hoping that he would die. <sighs> you, can, can we talk about Jerry for, for a few minutes? Sure. Jerry's not mentioned in the first one. That I no. remember. Does anybody realise she's a massacre survivor as well? Because when, like, she's in with the counsellor at school. Yeah. She keeps, she's, she's got post-traumatic stress. And she keeps going back to that night and reliving it. The counsellor was like, no, you've got to be here, you've got to be with us. Does she really realise that? Like, a year ago, she was in a cornfield watching her sister be murdered, nearly killed herself, as well as other teens. You know, does she have any respect for the fact that, you know, she's in a a very mentally difficult place? And nobody else seemed to really consider Jerry as being a survivor of that massacre, which right. she was. because she was so young. But the... The older kids in school did. The ones who came to her rescue on the sidewalk with the asshole pepper spray guy. Sandra and the other two guys, they were like, yeah, you realize she was there, right? They were talking to the guy. Like, yeah, yeah that her fucking sister died. So you need to fuck off. Which I think just made the asshole pepper spray guy, you know, more excited to learn more about what was. Yeah going on but uh, they knew the kids know but again like do the adults care it because didn't seem like anybody cared most of the adults kids yeah most of the adults were murderers anyway true and you only ever referred to the the three yeah well really really it should be the four even though it was early on that Jerry escaped. 
Yeah. But still, I don't know. I just felt like it was a salient piece of information about Jerry that a lot of the characters just simply ignored. It's like, hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Um, how do you feel about Miss Reyes? Absolutely devastated, but I could see it coming. Yeah. You, you were waiting for that penny to drop. Yeah, I think it was when... I don't remember who said it or how it came about, but it was mentioned that Miss Reyes... It might have been Rust when they were outside and the cop was there and the cop had Jerry. Maybe it was then, but I feel like it was said that like Miss Reyes is running this theater and it's staffed by survivors. And it's really just it's really just Miss Reyes and Jerry that work there. Yeah. That's it. But like I I really struggle with with Izzy because she knows Jerry. She looked into Jerry's face as she sent her back through the woods saying, like, you're too young, you're too little for this, you need to get out of here. And then she shoots her sister in the head. And then now she's here and, like, she sees her every single day. And I appreciate that she changed her mind and doesn't want to kill anybody anymore, but that's rough. I can't imagine what she was going through every single day. And then now we got to think about Jerry, future Jerry, who is already struggling every single day, sliding back into that night. And now this woman who you've looked up to for a year, who's treated you better than your own mother has, is the person who killed your sister. How is Jerry going to fare after this? I don't know, but I think at the very least she's got Glenn. Yeah. You know, the the ending implied that I wouldn't be surprised if she moved in with Glenn. Yeah. I hate that her own mother just doesn't even seem to give a fuck at all. But she's also dealing with the trauma as well. But still, like... There's part of us that's like... I can understand you've lost your daughter... But you still it's got traumatic, one left. But you, you still, still got, one, got left. one. And as a parent, you need to step up and you need to be there for your other child. But then at the same time, there was the talk about Jerry and her gender, which I almost wonder like, when did Jerry realize? that she was she instead of he did it happen after that night because the mom wasn't dealing well with it no i guess it didn't happen before it didn't happen after that because i think dorothy might have still been around at one point when they were talking about something something like sometime in the past with jerry being she instead of, you know, her former self. I think the transition has been a while. I can't yeah. remember specifics, but I think it has been a while. Um, 
I don't know how much that's playing into the mother's neglectful nature. But there was a there were the, I feel like there was some mention of how Jerry didn't feel welcome at home because of the way her mom was treating her. The impression I got was more the fact that the mom preferred Dorothy, the older sister. Well, obviously the mom preferred Dorothy, but did the mom prefer Dorothy because she doesn't like Jerry in in her true body? I honestly don't know. I can't remember from the story. Um... If it was mentioned, it wasn't prominent. It wasn't prominent enough for me to remember. Yeah, because it it, it felt like it, it it quite heavily leaned towards the not bother for Jerry because her star baby, the her preferred child, is the one that was massacred, and she would have preferred that Jerry was the one that was killed and not Dorothy. <sighs> Don't ever say that about Jerry. Keep her safe. Which is awful. Jerry and Rust need to be kept safe and protected. Thank you. Quinn will go and get the vengeance. Um, I honestly don't know. But the, the from what I remember, that it was always because the elder daughter was the preferred child. Whether there was implications because the mom's also bigoted, I don't know. She just wasn't present. And yeah, she, she was to, not a. She, was she not needed a good to mom. be present for for Jerry. It it's not fair. No, I mean, I, I can appreciate the mum struggling. Sure, and it's okay. It's okay to Very feel your so. trauma, but but you need to deal with it as a family. You can't leave tiny baby Jerry Ooh. out because Jerry's very young. Like she's just thirteen or fourteen. She's baby. And we have to keep her safe. But, and I hate that it was Miss Reyes that did it, even though she killed her sister. It was like a twist. Stab in the heart. Yes, crossbow bolt right through the heart. Glenn's got to feel really shitty about that as well. Oh, like, yeah. Barely being in the town, already forced to be a field medic for a bunch of massacring mental clowns. Yes. Now he's the mayor of the town and his girlfriend was one of the bloody friendos who tried to kill, who killed people. And you've had an attempted murder on yourself. And an entire city of people have come to try and kill your daughter again and you couldn't protect her because you were Stuck in hospital because of the wounds. Because you were half murdered already. Half murdered already. Like he's got to be feeling pretty crappy about the entire situation too. So I think actually, you know, if Jerry did move in with Glenn, if Glenn did become her legal guardian, which I, in my canon, that's what's happened. Sure. Um, it's for the best because it means he's got somebody he can take care of and kind of have like that mini redemption. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need no. need it. Quinn's seems fine. Quinn turned out just fine. Quinn has turned out just fine, but at least he can protect Jerry. Yeah. And they can, like, mourn the loss of Ms. Riaz together and also the implications of her actually being a killer. Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure that she only killed Dorothy, though. I don't know. I feel like she only killed Dorothy, and when she and she let Jerry go, and she was like, you know what? I immediately regret this decision. Because nobody knew. She hadn't been arrested, so she wasn't there at the end. No. She, like, noped out of the situation. She did. She noped right out with her crossbow. I would like to think that is the case. I would prefer the case was that she just didn't... She wasn't involved in it at all, but yeah, she's an adult of Kettle Springs and has been arrested yeah. for quite some time, so... Yeah. Yeah. It freaking sucks. Um, do you know what is something else that I really, really liked? And then we can talk about other things. But the last favorite thing that I liked was Arthur Hill dying as a nobody. Especially... <laughs> when he's like up there and his jaw doesn't work like what's been going on with him first of all when he's out of the country and he comes back and he's literally rotting from the inside out why is that happening yeah that is a good question but also i just love the fact that he walked up there on the stage or not on the stage, he walked up the steps of the municipal building and he was like, I'm going to take off my mask and I'm going to be like, hey, I brought all you guys here and they're all just going to worship me. And then he gets clocked in the head with a beer can. <laughs> and they're like, oh, get the hose out for this guy. He's, he's, oh, he's smelly. Yeah, I love that. But then Cole... Cole is the only one who recognized him apart from Miss Reyes before she, you know, murders him. But Cole is like, oh, it's my dad and nobody knows who he is. That's hilarious. <laughs> I thought that was a great ending. It it made me uh it made me think of how, you know, in in Harry Potter, that's how Voldemort was supposed to die. Mm. You know, in like the movies they read they ruined his death in the movies but like that's how he was supposed to die just dead normal man nobody gives a fuck and i thought oh it's perfect yeah perfect death for this shithead just smashed with a beer crossbow bolt through the throat just i like to think it wasn't a kind of beer it was a solo cup and it wasn't beer (laughs) It was pee. It was pee. <laughs> he he wouldn't be able to tell because he was stinky enough as it is. Right. It would have made him smell better, but he got piss cupped. I like that. I like I like that thought. That's my, that's my new headcanon. Yes. Piss cup. all of these wonderful mystical things and pepper sure. spraying assholes and pee cups. Yep. It's great. <laughs> but no, I agree. Uh, he dying nothing dying as a nobody is just such a good ending for that guy he was at the end of the first book he was going off in a private jet and now he's dead on the floor yep nobody cares that's even if Cole bothered to say oh it's my dad yeah because nobody could really understand him because Hunter bashed his jaw to pieces which was great Great use of a frying pan, Hunter. You're like, oh, like what? What are you saying, guy? What, what Nobody knows. Get a horse. Get out of here. Oh. 
piece of uh, shit. Smell like shit. <laughs> Somebody get a piss cup. <laughs> Bonk. All right, so who's your favorite character? Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Precious, precious Jerry. Glenn, oh, like Terry changed since book one, though he wasn't yeah. in very much. Yeah. Rust's dad. Yes. Quinn, the badass bitch. Yes. I do love Quinn, the badass bitch. But, I mean, always and forever, Rust is my favorite. Oh, Rust is a just... Always and forever. Yes. I love him. I love him. I like how strong he is and how smart and thoughtful he is. I really like when they're going through the mansion at the end and he's like, oh, well, the power's just gone out. So I know exactly where to go. He's so, he's so smart and he's been, you know, taking care of Cole for so long and Cole always plugs too many things in at one time. So he knows exactly where the breaker box is, but like he knows he's like yep i'm gonna go to the laundry room and i'm gonna take this fucking gun and then he tries to kill arthur hill doesn't quite make it then he gets trapped but at least arthur hill gets an arrow through the throat and he gets piss cupped in the face piss cupped in the face (laughs) sweet sweet justice sweet (laughs) sweet justice <laughs> wrist is precious do you have any surprises um I suppose <laughs> Cole's nose blindness I know I just I cannot believe that he was just so cool with his house smelling bad like come on I just didn't get it like I know if you've got a bad smell in the house, like, if you've got pets, there's always an underlying, you know, not always, but it's quite often an underlining pet smell yeah. that you can't smell after a while if you live in that environment. Yeah. But he couldn't smell shitty pissy man. I know. Oh, so gross. He was rotting us, from the inside out, too. It tells me so much about Cole. Dirty, yeah. dirty boy. He's so dirty and like. Does he not have a maid service? Surely he's got a maid service that comes in. He's yeah, not going to He mentioned that like the people come and clean out the pool. Like, why'd you stop coming? Why are you not cleaning up the house still? And like, he doesn't even do a wash. He just keeps buying more clothes instead of doing laundry. That's so freaking stupid. It's gross. It is. It's gross. I wish that Cole would have plummeted to his death. Do you think he puts his laundry in with Rust's and Rust's mom ends up doing it? Maybe. Or Rust ends up doing it for him. Probably that. Pretty lazy asshole. Yeah. You know, we did not like Cole in this book. I didn't like him either. Like, at all. Especially... When Rust is complaining, like, hey, why are you talking to this guy? You don't even know him. His family is here. They're they're making money. 
where all of our friends were murdered, where we were almost murdered. Why do you even, why do you even like him? He's like, well, because I'm hot. Like, I'm good looking. That's why. Like, come on. Why you're so full of yourself. He's just like his dad. So full of himself. I kind of feel like he hasn't learned a lesson from the first one. You know, after the whole massacre. Literal freaking massacre in a cornfield. You were nearly hung. You were standing on the gallows. And you haven't learned much from it. No. Yeah. God damn it. I know, he should have just died. Should have just died. Because he's... I feel like he still didn't get redeemed at the end. No. He just laid there with his broken arms. He's sitting watching there and going, oh shit, all this stuff's going on. That's me, Dad. <laughs> nope, 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 not anymore. Nope, piss cup. Nope, that's like, the yeah. So many people. I've got a headache. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to roll over. I'm going to roll over and let Russ take care of me. Look at all the puppy. Grow up. He's constantly working. He's constantly got these, like, you know, jobs that he's doing, investments and stuff. So he's, you know, like a business mind going on. But yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, I just, oh, he, he annoyed the life out of me in this one. So when he went over and had dived under the marble, if he died, I wouldn't have been too upset. I would not have been upset at all. I would have been okay with it. Yeah. Cause don't kill Rust and don't kill Jerry. Don't kill and Quinn. Qu- like Quinn. Quinn is unkillable. Because she is the murderer <laughs> in the next one. That's what I want. I want the third one to just to just be Quinn killing everyone. And everyone's like, oh no, it's friendos again. There's friendos everywhere. And like, no, nope, it's just Quinn. It's just Quinn every time. It's Quinn every time. But she's not being a friend though. She's got a reason, like the proper reason for it. You know, she's yeah. killing the killers. Yeah. She's just jury and executioner. She is. Okay. She is so badass. <laughs> Amazingly so. All right. So is it time? Yes. Yes. It's time. It's time. It's time. <laughs> we asked on social media. <gasps> Would you rather go to a haunted house attraction or a horror movie double feature? On Facebook, 57% going to the double feature. On Instagram, it was 73% going to a haunted house. On Twitter, 71% to a double feature. And on TikTok, 60% to a double feature. We have lots of lovely comments. We do. We do have some very good comments. Coral on Facebook said, Never can miss an opportunity to go to a haunted house, fake or real. Let's do this. I'm going to make you sing Constance's song this time, so I'm skipping to the next one. Vincent on Facebook said, Most horror movies are shit, so I'm going to go for the haunted house. This is your fault, though. You're the one who demanded. I know. I can at least do the last line. Do it. You have to do it this time. At the late night double feature picture show. Thank you. That was beautiful. Next. 
Drew on Facebook said, I've seen enough horror movies to know I'm not the final girl. I'll just watch them instead. I love Drew's self-awareness. I know. Drew knows. She's like, nah, I'm going to be dead immediately. I'm staying in bed. (laughs) Colin on Facebook said, got to be the horror movie double feature for me. I'm a massive movie buff. So it's just a bit of a no-brainer. I'm not, however, getting murdered by a creepy clown buff. And those fuckers tend to hang around in places like haunted houses. So I'll keep the heckins away from there. There's also a chance of getting bumped off at the double feature as well. But that should only happen according to the expanded rules. If I'm getting some under the shirt action. So hey. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Bree on Facebook said, In a horror movie theater, I have more structural integrity to run on and witnesses to throw between me and the monster slash slasher slash malevolent force trying to kill me. I love that she's sacrificing people. (laughs) Oh, so many people going under the bus. I respect that, Bree. I respect that. L20 Kev on Instagram said, I'll go haunted attraction. Two movies in a row in a UK cinema seat isn't the comfiest, and Netflix can get me horror movies at home easily. For a haunted house, I'd need to leave my house. Still for the experience. Unless I buy a Ouija board. Don't take a Ouija board. Don't do it. It never ends well. It ends in murder. Mattel owns a pattern to Ouija boards. They're not like, you know, let's go to the library. We had some good library comments this time. Someone said they wanted to go to the double feature because they've always been afraid that they would accidentally punch somebody in a haunted house. Haunted house? I want to finally feel some type of emotion. Amanda, <laughs> is this you? No. Surprisingly not. That is not me. Someone else said, horror movies, just throw on a marathon instead of a double feature. Hand over the popcorn and leave me in my happy place. Amanda, <laughs> is this you? No, I wish it was. <laughs> Sounds like me. It really does. Uh, another library person said, horror movie times two because I will throw hands if anyone in a haunted house attraction touches me so what are you gonna do i have done both and will do both again so i'm i i feel like i have to step back from this one i'm literally going to a a horror movie all nighter at the cinema the weekend before halloween so and i have been to double i do double features all the time yeah so and i'm going to a haunted house in two weeks so i i can't answer this one because i will do both i feel i feel like i'm copping out but i'm more than happy with both of them and do actively do both of them so right me too do you know what though in the past couple of days, I have been invited to be a scare actor at a local haunted house and to do makeup at the haunted house. And I am so stoked. I cannot wait. Excited. It's going to be 
the weekend before Halloween and the weekend of Halloween. And I already told them, look it, I can't do all the days because I got this podcast that I have to record. But they're like, no, any day that you can come, you, you're totally going to be there. Exciting! Oh I'm God. so excited. I'm so excited. Amazing. So excited. Amazing. So that's what I'm going to go with this time. The haunted house attraction because I'm going to be there and I'm going to be the one jumping out and scaring the shit out of everyone. Well, then if I have to pick one, I'm going to pick haunted house attraction. I'm going to come to the one where you're working it and you can jump out at me. Yay. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. I really wanted to tell you. I wanted to text you about it earlier in the week, but I wanted to save it for the episode instead to tell you about it. <laughs> I'm absolutely stoked. I can't wait to see what you're doing. Oh, it's going to be so good. I can't wait. Amazing. Would you rather be accused of being a serial killer or making it all up for attention or being the instigator of a massacre in a shitty conspiracy documentary about your life? Ooh. Not making it all up for attention. That's Nah, that's shitty. Yeah. That's something that Cole would do. Yeah. Even do, though he didn't. Do I want to be the serial killer or do yes. I want to be the instigator? Serial I'm killer. I'm say serial killer. <laughs> then I can have all the documentaries made about me and I can have, you know, the daytime television. I can have multiple podcasts discussing me. Yep. Yep. The serial killer gets the infamy. I'm going for that. Yep, same. 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 Perfect. And then I would go to a theater and watch the shitty conspiracy documentary about my own life there, surrounded by everyone. And then if they booed, I would just murder everyone in the theater. Yes. <laughs> That's terrible. I don't want to murder everyone for realsies, but <laughs> but there was that one time because they just burning ends. Murdered. <laughs> Next question: Would you rather be Quinn and grow up the douchey cop or Baton Red Nose Trixie? Oh, I really like the last scene with her and her shaved head. It's a thing of beauty. It really is. But I hate the douchey cop. And his garroting was poetry. It was. And I really, I really like a garrot. Mm. So I think I'm going to go garroting the douchey cop. Well, if you're going to, I, I would, I'd be happy with either. If you're going to sure. get the douchey cop, I'll do the cinematic Final scene and bat on Red Nose Trixie. Okay, that's fine. Cool. All right. Good. All bases covered. You can smell this one. Can you smell this next question? Can I'm you smell it? It's like the, with it's the... like the foot boot. Would you rather? I've I've amped it up a little bit. I've taken what actually happened in the story but made it worse because that's, that's so what i do you. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather sit in a car in the sunlight with arthur hill or sit in a warm steamy sauna 
<laughs> with Arthur Hill. <laughs> I'm going with the car and sunlight because I've been in steamy saunas and no. <laughs> On two counts. That shit is hot. That shit is sticky. That is in close space. But so is the car. I can crack so a window. So is the car I can in crack the sunlight. I've seen Final Destination movies as well. I know being in that steamy sauna with Arthur Hill is a bad place to be. I'm going in the car in sunlight with Arthur Hill. I feel like I would go in the sauna because, you know, if it's full of steam, you can't see him. It's not that full so of you steam. don't have to. So you don't have to look at him. I've never been in a sauna that's that full of steam. Where it's like in the movies. But we are in the movies. Fine. We are making this into a movie. Fine. Then I'm filming the wheezing. No, I'm not going to film the wheezing off the hill because I want to survive. <laughs> I will make sure I'm in the driver's seat with my seatbelt on, and I'm going full throttle, and then slamming the brakes, and all the hills going through the windscreen. Do you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot to mention this. I really, really loved those scenes where Mrs. Duvall was in the back of oh Rust's God, truck. So freaking ridiculous. Yes, and he kept like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow down. I'm gonna pull over. And then he gasses it and she tumbles through the back of the truck. How the hell did she keep her purchase? I don't know. Honestly, she was this, just... that was the kind of thing you would see on Mythbusters. Yeah. <laughs> She, you know that those house slippers she was wearing did not have any grip. I guess it was just the crowbar. And she was good with the crowbar. Crowbar and dumbass determination. <sighs> yes. Ugh. Ugh. It was just comedy, that scene. It was. I love that it happened more than once, too. <laughs> oh, no, my nose fell off. No! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I saw the real cloud. No! underneath the cloud no, no. <laughs> that was a good outtake <laughs> gonna do with the content <laughs> I have no idea what no, we you know it's fine we're I think you picked the car and I picked the sauna. So we both answered that question. Okay. And now we just need to go on to the last one because it's the best one <laughs> of all of them. Would you rather get hit in the face with a piss cup or pepper sprayed <laughs> in the asshole? Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a one Amanda came up with, surprise, surprise. <laughs> it's exactly like a one Amanda came up, but she didn't come up with it for the change. I, know. I, think, I think she's a terrible influence. I think right that I am. I know, I know. But I was just too focused on Arthur Hill being smelly. <laughs> and I was thinking about piss cups and pepper You were thinking assholes. about the whole time. Um, I don't want either of these things to happen to me. I don't know how to answer this. I'm going to get hit in the face with a piss cup. Because... I can wash that away quicker than I can wash out my pepper spray asshole. I feel like that would linger. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna take a shower. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a piss cup to the face. And then I'm gonna take a shower. <laughs> yes. 
the linger the lingering of the asshole. <laughs> I agree, piss cup over pepper spray because pepper spray I'm quite sure is for external use only. <sighs> Yeah. And you know it is not going to stay external Mm-mm. when it is sprayed to the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't Perfect. <laughs> End. End of episode. <laughs> All right. Favorite final thought quote. I'll give you what th- you got? I'll give you three. You ever heard of the term useful idiot? <laughs> Is that what they call your mother? <laughs> oh, Quinn, such a badass bitch. My bullshit sense is tingling. Which I'm sure I've said on more than one occasion. Oh, I'm sure. Here she was again, shooting clowns. No. Oh. <laughs> there you go. What so you good. Oh, face paint everywhere. <laughs> but has your nose fallen off, and now you have to keep your finger on it because you're afraid it's going to fall off again? No, because mine's painted on with <laughs> with face paint and glitter. All right. And I have sassy eyebrow at the moment. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes deja vu wasn't deja vu. Sometimes it was just the same shit happening again and again until it drove you insane. Preach. Cole's dad had attacked Hunter and Cole with nothing more than a knife. If Arthur Hill wanted to reveal himself while Rust stood in the center of a well-lighted room, Rust was fine with playing a quick game of knife paper shotgun with him. Russ is also badass. He's yes. not he's not quite as much of a badass bitch as Quinn is, but he is right there. He is oh, runner up. He is. They're just different types. Yeah. I mean he taught badass her everything she knows. There's a spectrum. Yeah. He taught her everything. Exactly. Let's see. Um there were so many good, like, teenage one-liners in this one that I really, really liked. History, you're about to end up on the right side of your ass, shithead. <laughs> and then, and then, that's that's when they're outside of the theater, the, the three friends sticking up for Jerry. And then, so the one guy says that to the pepper sprayed asshole. And then his bro is like, good one. <laughs> Good one, dude. <laughs> it's a very Beavis and Butthead moment. Yeah. And I also really, I know I talked about this scene a lot when the friendo comes off the elevator and I was so proud of all the teenagers, but I really liked when the one of them said, bad taste, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to call everyone my guy. Bad yeah, taste, my guy. I insist so on good. it now. So was so good, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <sighs> if you liked this, try this. <sighs> what are you gonna recommend, my guy? <laughs> I'm sorry already. I'm. I can't do it anymore. 
Oh, I didn't even last a minute. I'm going to recommend the final girl support group by Grady Hendrix. And if the title alone doesn't give you some kind of indication of its not tenuous link, then the summary will reveal all. In horror movies, the final girl is the one who's left standing when the credits roll. The one who fought back, defeated the killer and avenged her friends. The one who emerges bloodied but victorious. But after the sirens fade and the audience moves on, what happens to her? Lynette Tarkington survived a massacre 22 years ago and it has defined every day of her life since. And she's not alone. For more than a decade, she's been meeting with five of the final girls and their therapist in a support group for those who survived the unthinkable, putting their lives back together piece by piece. That is, until one of the women misses a meeting and Lynette's worst fears are realised. Someone knows about the group and is determined to take their lives apart again, piece by piece. But the thing about these final girls is that they have each other now. And no matter how bad the odds, how dark the night, how sharp the knife, they will never, ever give up. Nice. I like to think that Quinn is in the final girl support group. Yes, I, I think that is true. <laughs> What have you got? All right. I am going with The Fear by Natasha Preston. Mm. And I picked this one because one of the libraries near my home is doing a horror book club and they're talking about this one. So I saw it and then I wanted to read it. So I thought I would share it with everyone. Yeah. All right. The Fear by Natasha Preston. Don't be afraid. Be terrified. It's just a stupid meme that's going around their small fishing town in the dead of winter, people reposting and sharing their biggest fear. But when her classmates start turning up dead, dying in a way that they said scared them the most, Izzy knows it's no joke. With each death hitting closer to home, Izzy sets out to try to stop the killer. Could her older sister's friend Tristan have something to do with the deaths? He's given her some strange vibes. Or what about his brooding cousin, Axel? But he's in her classes at school. He's not a murderer, is he? Is he soon on a path that will lead her right to the killer and her own worst nightmare? Ooh. Ooh. This author has written so many, like, cheesy-sounding horror books, and I gotta tell you... I want to read them all. Well, we do have a 2023 theme looking directly at you because you know what the theme is called, where it will I fit. do. Yes. So. Yes. We'll, we'll put that we have in to a five-week We have to do at least one. We'll do it in a five-week month. We, don't, we can't do all of them in one. No. That's too much. But we can do four. That's it's true, the because then we have our book club thing. Vampire book club. Vampire book club. <laughs> not Perfect. just a hat rack, my friend. It's not. It's not. Even though it is wearing a hat. It is. Do we have a suitably tenuously linked indie spotlight? We do. We kind do. of. Kind of? Ish. <laughs> Question mark. Um, this one is called This is Where We Talk Things Out by Caitlin Marceau. 
After Miller's father dies, she agrees to a girl's vacation away from the city to reconnect with the only family she has left. Although she's eager to make things work, Miller can't help but worry that her mother is seeing their countryside retreat as a fun weekend getaway instead of what it really is, a last-ditch effort to repair their relationship. Unfortunately, that quickly becomes the least of Miller's problems. Sylvie's trapped in the past, and if Miller's not careful, she will be too. A cross between Stephen King's Misery and Stephanie Robel's Darling Rose Gold, this is where we talk things out, explores the horror of familial trauma, mother-daughter relationships, and what happens when we don't let go. When we don't let go, we get piss-cupped in the head and crossbowed through the throat and die alone on the steps of the municipal building. And no one cares. Fact. (laughs) All right. That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. Punchy the Clown. (laughs) I mean, excuse me. (laughs) Same Claire or Icky the Clown. Join us next time as we discuss Dead and Gone by Charlene Harris. Vampire Book Club. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com, follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover, and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you'd like this episode, check out our others, a rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.